Let's open our Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter number 45. Genesis, chapter number 45. Are you excited to be in the Lord's house tonight? Amen. What a blessing it is. Genesis, chapter 45. I want us to look at a time in the life of Joseph and Jacob and his brethren tonight. And I want us to consider a few simple thoughts and apply them to our lives as Christians. How many of you know that God has a will for your life? How many of you know that God wants to see that will accomplished in your life? Amen. How many of you know the devil also has a will for your life? And uh, if he can have his will in his way, then God won't have his will in his way. You know, here's here's the stark reality of it. Only one person can have their will and way in your life. And it's either going to be the Lord, uh, or it's going to be you, or it's going to be the devil. Uh, that's really the only choices that there are. Now, I'll tell you this, if the devil has his will and his way, you're going to be in a mess. If you have your will and your way then you're going to be in a mess. Uh, But if the Lord has His will and His way, uh, then I believe we'll be a lot better for it. Amen. Genesis chapter number 45, and I'd like to begin reading down in verse number 17. Verse number 17, Genesis chapter 45. This is sort of almost the close of the great drama that is Joseph's life and time uh, in Egypt. And he has revealed himself to his brethren that he is their brother. uh, And now he is making preparation uh, for the sojourn of his father. Verse number 17, the Bible says that Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye, laid your beasts, and go, get you unto the land of Canaan. Take your father and your households, and come unto me. And I will give you the good of the land of Egypt, and ye shall eat the fat of the land. Now thou art commanded, this do ye, take you wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Also, regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. And the children of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh, gave them provision for the way. To all of them he gave each man changes of raiment. But to Benjamin he gave three hundred pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. To his father he sent after this manner ten asses laden with the good things of Egypt, and ten she-asses laden with corn and bread and meat for his father by the way. So he sent his brethren away, and they departed. He said unto them, See that ye fall not out by the way. They went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them, And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. What a blessing to be with your people in your house. Pray that the Holy Ghost would have liberty, that he'd speak to hearts this evening. Lord, that your word, that your message, that your truth would be sounded forth in a way unhindered by me, unhindered by any of us tonight. Father, that Jesus Christ might be magnified, Lord. I thank you for these people, their faithfulness, being here on a Sunday night. I know you'll bless them in that effort. Lord, we just pray that in all these things we might see more of the Lord. We love you, Father, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You know, when we read this passage, there are a few arresting statements that I want us to notice this evening. But can I say a word about merely the premise of what I want to preach on? Because what we find here is that God, through His providence and through His wisdom, is sending 
for Jacob, the father of Joseph. And what he's doing is relocating the family of Abraham from the land of Canaan, where he has promised they would be, and from the land of Canaan, uh, where they had journeyed by faith, and from the land of Canaan, where they had made their life and where they had made their home. He is displacing them from that place and leading them into the land of Egypt. Now, he's doing this by his will, and he's doing this with his wisdom. But can I just say, and this, this may not be your perspective on it, but that seems like a strange thing to happen in their lives. Now, if you've studied your Bible, you know all that God brings about through this move. You know how that it's in Egypt that they grow from a family into a nation. And uh, you know this sort of segues uh, into the delivery of the children of Israel from the land of Egypt by the Passover lamb. But how strange it must have seen from where Jacob sat to ponder upon and meditate upon what God was doing. Can I say to you tonight, sometimes the will of God is going to be a strange thing to us. There is no question in retrospect that this was indeed the will of God. But I'm sure Jacob had a lot of questions about what God was doing in his life at this moment. Egypt was the place of God's will for Jacob's family. But notice three things about this place before we get into our message. Number one, Egypt was a peculiar place for them to be. As we study the Bible, we find that Egypt is always associated with the idea of sin and the world. It is always representative of the world system that stands in in contradiction to God and His Word and His will and His way. And this was a strange place for the will of God to be taking them. Can I say there will be times that the will of God will take you to places you would never have chose for yourself? In fact, it seems as though sometimes the will of God has a habit of taking us to places that we maybe would have never chosen for ourselves. This was a peculiar place. But we find that it is not without precedent in Scripture. In fact, let me read to you a passage out of Genesis chapter 15. Now, in Genesis 15, God, of course, uh, ratifies and, uh, that covenant with Abraham uh, there when the sacrifice is given and you see the smoking furnace and the burning lamp floating betwixt the, the, the pieces of the sacrifice after Abraham is put to sleep. And the promise is given unto Abraham uh, concerning his future. By the way, that's also the chapter where Abraham has righteousness imputed unto him. But listen to what God says to Abraham. Abraham. Now remember, this is, this is hundreds of years before. This is, this is two generations before, uh, Abraham, before Jacob is going to be carried into the land of Egypt. And it says in Genesis 15 verse 13, that he said unto Abraham, God said unto Abraham, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them. They shall afflict them four hundred years, and also that nation whom they will serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. So we find that Egypt was a peculiar place for the will of God, for Jacob and his family, but we also find that Egypt was a providential place for the will of God. In other words, let me stress this tonight, God knows what He's doing. God never does anything with no reason, with no sense, with no purpose. And even the things that we might not be able to unriddle or unravel, the things that we look at that mystify us, that doesn't mean they mystify God. God had actually settled down, uh, uh, you know, two generations prior to this, had already spoken to Jacob's granddaddy and told him, there's coming a day I'm going to lead you into a, a strange nation and you're going to be a stranger 
there. I'm saying this, that God didn't just wake up one day and decide to send Jacob and his family to Egypt. God had settled this a long time before. You and I might look at things in the will of God and think how strange that is, how unusual that is, but I promise you that God has put more thought into the matters of our life than even we ever have. Egypt was a providential place. And because of that, let me say that Egypt was a prepared place. Now, this is really the entire spirit of this passage. And I won't belabor it because we're going to preach this, this passage. But uh, the, real, uh, the, the real theme and the real central truth here is this, that uh, Jacob had thought he had lost Joseph, his son. But in fact, God had sent Joseph into Egypt before Jacob would ever get there, had exalted and promoted him to a place of power and of prominence. And God had been readying the land of Egypt for the people of Israel to occupy there. In other words, God had gone before His plan and made ready and made prepared uh, a place for Jacob and his family. Can I say that God, not only does He not make decisions without thought, but God also does not lead us into places which He has not prepared for us. God leads you somewhere. He has made a way for you to uh, be in that place. And He has made a way for you to be effective in that place. And God had been preparing really for generations. And you can stop and think with me about all of the things that God had done in preparing the nation. I mean, literally millions of people were put under both famine and feast to make the way for Jacob and his family to be there. I'm saying this, God's never doing just one thing at a time, and He's certainly never doing nothing. He's always got a plan, He's always got a purpose, and He's always preparing that things might be exactly how they ought to be when the time is right. We find that Egypt was a place that Jacob would not have chosen for himself, but it was a place that God had chosen. And because God had chosen it, God had made a way and had prepared for this place to be ready for Jacob and his family to arrive there and to dwell. That would be sort of the launching place uh, in which a nation would be born. And Jacob had a responsibility in that plan. It was Jacob's responsibility to leave the place of Canaan, the place of comfort, the place of convenience, uh, and to go to this strange land called Egypt. I want you to notice, if, if he was ever going to get there, there were three things that would be required. And here's what I want to preach to you on tonight. There's going to be three things if you and I are going to do the will of God successfully in our lives that are going to have to be present in our lives. There are a lot of people that find the will of God but choose to never do it. There are some folks that find the will of God and they choose to do it, but they do not uh, keep these things in mind and they are not diligent in keeping their feet and they are not diligent in keeping their faith and they do not exercise the will of God in their life. I'm saying this, that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're a successful Christian. Uh, just because uh, you have grown up in, in Bible Christianity does not make you a, a biblical Christian. And if we want to do the will of God in our lives, it's going to take some diligence. I didn't say if we're going to be saved. I said if we're going to do the will of God, it's going to take some diligence in our lives. So three things that I find that were necessary uh, for him to journey to Egypt, remembering that Egypt is the will of God for him and his family. Look with me back at verse number 17. The Bible says that Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye. So a command is given. This do ye. Laid your beasts and go, get you into the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households and come unto me, and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt, and ye shall eat the fat of the land. 
Let me say, number one, that if we're going to see the will of God done in our life, we have to be willing to respond with faith to the word of command. Pharaoh gives a command to the sons of Jacob by way of Joseph. And he says, you don't need to be where you're at. You instead need to pull up your tent stakes, load up your wagons, and come to this place. Can I say that uh, the, our walk with the Lord, while the spirit of our walk should not be simply commands, the substance of our walk with God, much of it is commands. God has expectations of your life and of my life. Uh, you and I both know this to be true. You with me tonight here on a Sunday night? You ain't still asleep from your from your uh, Sunday afternoon lunch and nap. You with me tonight? Uh, listen, uh, the the fact is, any relationship has a healthy set of rules to it. Yours does. If you listen, you men, if you don't believe that your marriage has rules to it, try and bring you another girl home and introduce her to your wife. Has rules to it. Your relationship with your siblings, your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your friends and your your family and your church family, all these things have rules. We accept that without any question, understanding it to be the nature of life. And yet we are aghast at the thought that God would expect anything of us. See, here's the truth. Uh, Every command that God gives us is to be birthed. Our obedience is to be birthed out of a heart of love. But make, make no mistake... Uh, obedience to God is not some abstract concept that has been uh, sort of uh, philosophized into non-existence. Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments. God has certain things He expects out of our life, and we have to respond in obedience to that command. In this particular passage, I think we'd probably summarize it with the simple command to pursue the will of God to acknowledge and recognize that God has a plan for our life and to see it through and to see it done and to see it come to fruition is the great work of our life. It is the great purpose in us as His creatures and as His children is that we see the will of God done. But really we could say that there were basically two areas of faith that Jacob was going to have to respond in. First thing that he would have to believe was that his son was alive. We find this to be a great obstacle down in verse number 25. The Bible says they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive. Not only is he alive, he's governor over all the land of Egypt. Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. He had to believe the son was alive. Can I say this? If you're ever going to see the will of God done in your life, it has to be based upon, founded upon a basic fundamental belief that Jesus is alive and well and has a will and a plan for your life and for mine. I am shocked at how often we as Christians, though we claim to believe that He is risen, live as though He is still buried. We live as though He is not alive. We live, our prayer life betrays the fact that we struggle to believe it. Our consecration in our life uh, betrays the fact that we struggle to believe it. The faith and the degree of faith to which we live and walk in betrays the fact that we struggle to believe, even though we know it to be true. We struggle to walk in the strength and reality that He is alive. Jacob was never going to go to Egypt unless he believed that Joseph was alive. And can I say, you're never going to do the will of God, and I'm never going to do the will of God until we get it settled in our heart that He is alive, that He is well, that He is working, that He is laboring, that He is interceding, and that He has a plan for our life. 
I think much of what's wrong with Christianity could be solved today if there was a proper perspective on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that far too often uh, lost people uh, believe, and, and sadly we so often accommodate this belief, that Christianity is like every other religion in the world, that it's merely a, a memorial system for a dead martyr. And that's not at all what Christianity is. Christianity is the power of a risen Lord, a risen Savior that is alive and able not only to save the individual, but to work in their life. Jacob had to believe that Joseph was alive. Not only that, what did they tell him? Let's just break it down. Joseph is yet alive. What's the second thing? And he is governor over all the land of Egypt. Now, why was that important, Brother Kim? Because they were getting ready to say, Jacob, uh, you're an old man and uh, we're comfortable and you'd be satisfied to die here. We're not going to let you. We're going to load those old bones up on a wagon and drag you hundreds of miles to the land of Egypt. And that's where you're going to live and that's where you're going to die and that's going to be the place that you'll dwell. And I'm sure that Jacob probably thought to himself, uh, it would be good and well to do that, but how do we know that we will be taken care of when we get there? And central to that question is this fact about Joseph, that not only is he alive, but he's the governor, man. I would say it this way, he had to believe that he was alive, but number two, he had to believe that he was able, that he had the means to do what was promised. Can I tell you this? It's good and well to believe that he is alive, but the reason that the Bible... You know, there, there's... there's How do I say this the right way? There, there are a lot of ways God could have done what he did. But God was very distinct in giving His Son to die on the cross of Calvary to be made a ransom for us. And He was very, very careful to make sure that when the Lord rose from the dead, that there were plenty of witnesses to that resurrection. Why was that so important? Because they needed to understand that generation of Christians and this generation of Christians, we need to understand that He rose by the power of God from the grave and that if He can do that, He can do anything. He can do anything. If he's alive, then he's able. If he's alive, then he's able. If he can conquer death, man, what can't he do in your life or in my life? And I think it was probably of great comfort to Jacob, not only to know, man, he's alive, but he has the means and the wherewithal to keep these promises. And can I report to you tonight, there's nothing that God promises that he cannot keep. There's no problem so big, but what God is bigger than that problem. He is alive, He is able, and He is invested in your life and in my life. So the first thing they had to do is respond with faith. Uh, Jacob at first does not believe them, but thankfully, verse 27, I like this, I wasn't going to preach on it, but I like it. Verse 27, they told him all the words of Joseph, uh, which he had said unto them, but that's not what did it. The Bible says when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now, what all was in those wagons? Well, verse 23 tells us that those wagons were filled with the good things of Egypt, with corn and bread and meat for Jacob, by the way. In other words, there was a little taste of what was to come. Has it ever dawned on you uh, that very often, uh, you know, God in your life and mine, the reason He answers the prayers He answers, the reason He grants the blessings He grants is not merely so He can be benevolent, but very often He is trying to elicit from us a greater dependence upon Him. Those things are given to show us what else He can do for us. God doesn't give us good things to shut us up. God gives us good things to open us up. And to cause us to, in faith, look to Him and ask great things of Him and seek great things of Him and try to do great things for Him. When He saw those wagons, He said, boy, He must be alive 
and he must be able. And you know, when you see the things God's doing in your life and mine, it's very easy to dismiss them as small, but there's nothing that heaven reaches down to earth and accomplishes that's small. That's a big deal. And God does these things in your life and mine so that we might have greater faith in the Lord. Uh, it's not just something that's done. Uh, the, 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 end, uh, or the end is not the goal in it. Or we might say that the, the uh, product of it is not merely the ends in mind. God is always leading us down a path to a greater faith and dependence upon Him. So the first thing was they would have to respond with faith to the word of command. Then there is a word of counsel that is given. Look with me down in verse number 20. Uh, the Bible, Pharaoh says this to, to Joseph to uh, encourage and exhort his brethren. Verse number, well, look back in verse 19. He says, Now thou art commanded, this do ye, take you wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Then he says this in verse 20, Also regard not your, and we have a good King James Bible word, your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. Now, when you study this word stuff and when you consider the original languages and the dynamics and all of the things, you walk away with this understanding that the word stuff meant stuff. It means exactly what your King James Bible says it means. It means stuff. It means material possessions. That's exactly what it means. And here's what he's saying. A word of counsel is given. He says, you know, it's not going to be easy to leave the land of Canaan because you built a life there. But he says this, you need to respond with forsaking to this word of counsel. Don't let those things hold you back because I've got something better for you here in the land of Egypt. He counsels them against a couple things. One, he commands them to forsake the things that would limit them, the things that would hinder them. Can I tell you something? Anything in your life that keeps you from going 100% after Jesus Christ is something not worth having. Now, God's not against us having stuff, material things. God's not opposed to that. If God was against that, He wouldn't have blessed so many of us with so many things. He's not against those things. But understand that anything in our life can become an idol. God blessed His people with silver and gold and, and brass and wood and stone. And sadly, very often uh, throughout the Old Testament, they'd take them and carve graven images and worship those things. What nothing wrong with the silver and gold. What was wrong was what they did with it and what they allowed it to do to them. It's not wrong to have material possessions, but I'm telling you this. Hey, there's a reason that uh, that it's easier for a camel uh, to enter through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into uh, eternal life. There's a reason because uh, we need to be careful lest we be limited in our spiritual pursuits by the material things that we either possess or desire. Paul said this, that those that would be rich would fall into a snare. He's not saying it's wrong to have those things, but we need to be careful lest those things have us. He says, be careful, forsake the things that would limit you, the things that would burden you, the things that would hinder you. You can't take everything to the land of Egypt. Can I tell you something? We can't take everything into the will of God. We can't take everything into the will. You ever went on vacation and been packing and had to say, hey, we can't take that, we can't take that, we can't take that. And finally at a certain point you say, what are you planning on, living there? Listen, if we want to leave where we're at and get where we need to be, then where we need to be can't be exactly like where we're at. Or else there was no point in going in the first place. I'm telling you tonight, we need to forsake the things that would limit us. 
There may be things that are not inherently bad, intrinsically evil in your life or mine, but if we have allowed them to hinder us from living for the Lord, if we've allowed these things to limit us in our pursuit of Him, then we need to be willing to jettison those things, to forsake those things. So he says you need to forsake the things that would limit. Number two, and here's why. I really like this. Verse 20. He says, also regard not your stuff. This is why. For the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. Forsake the things that would limit, but listen, forsake the things that are lesser. And can I tie both those things together and say this, that the things that would limit are things that are lesser. He's saying to uh, his brethren, listen, leave those things behind. I got better for you where you're going. You know, the things that God calls on us, to abandon in the pursuit of doing His will. Can I tell you something? that? uh, And Christ made this truth apparent to His disciples. He said, no man, having forsaken a loved one or lands or houses, none of them shall lose out in that forsaking. He said they'll receive a hundredfold more in this life and the life to come. I'm saying this, that anything other than the will of God is something lesser than the will of God. Because the will of God is what's best for your life and mine. The will of God is what's best for your life and mine. You can almost imagine the picture of a young child clinging to a well-worn and familiar stuffed animal all the while the parent is doing everything they can to try to give them a new one. But they don't want to let go of the old one. They just don't realize that there's a better one there waiting on them. And here's what uh, Joseph and, and Pharaoh were trying to tell Jacob and his sons. Those things that you have in your homeland, they may be familiar to you. They may be comfortable to you. But we have something far greater for you here in the land of Egypt if you'll simply in faith step out and come here. I'm just telling you this, there's nothing better than the will of God. There's nothing better than the will of God. So respond with forsaking to the word of counsel. Let me give you one more and we'll be done tonight. I heard there's donuts or something, so I'm I'm more excited about that than I am about the message. So verse 24, look what it says. (laughs) Verse 24 says, So he sent his brethren away and they departed. And as they're headed out the door, he said unto them, See that ye fall not out by the way. We find first a word of command that they are to come to the land of Egypt. We then find a word of counsel that they're not to allow anything in their old life to hold them back from their new life. And then third, we find a word of caution. Almost like a parent hollering out to a child as they walk out the door. Uh, J, uh, Joseph, he hollers after his brother and he says, Hey, be careful and see that ye fall not out of the way. What he is exhorting them to do, Brother Ken, is respond with focus to this word of caution. He's saying there's a lot of miles between here and Canaan. A lot of miles between Canaan and here. He said there'll be great dangers along the way. And there'll be forces and there'll be powers and there'll be enemies that are going to seek to get you out of that way. And you better keep your feet if you want to get back to this place. You say, man, I'm thankful that, I'm thankful that me going to heaven is not dependent upon me hanging in or holding out or holding up or letting down or whatever you want to call it. I'm glad that me getting to heaven is not about me in enduring. Amen. I know what those Bible verses talk about enduring, but I understand they're also not talking about the personal soul salvation of the New Testament believer either. 
I'm glad my salvation is not dependent upon anything I have done or will do or can do. It's all dependent on what Christ has done. But I do understand this, that my doing the will of God and seeing the will of God accomplished in my life very much is dependent upon me keeping my feet because it's real easy to get out of the way. What I wonder was he cautioning them against. Well, I thought about two things. You could probably, you're smarter than me, you could probably think of 2,000. But I thought of two things. One, I think what he's saying is that there would be dangers along the way. We read about a similar scene in the parable of the Good Samaritan that Christ told in the book of Luke that a man traveling and sojourning in those days would be beset about with bandits, with highwaymen, with dangerous individuals that would seek to fall upon them. And in fact, that was one of the concerns that the sons of Jacob had had earlier in their conversations with Joseph is that they might leave that place and never return again, that there were a lot of dangers in the way. Can I just summarize it this way? There would be enemies along the way that would have a vested interest in preventing them from reaching their destination. Sort of reminds me of how uh, we are today, that we have an enemy, and that enemy has many agents. And that, that enemy and his agents have a vested interest in seeing us fall out of the way as we make this journey towards the will of God in our life. I'm saying this, it's real easy to allow people to push us away from the will of God. There are some people that are set on doing the will of God and then someone disappoints them. Someone hurts them. Someone betrays them and they fall out of the way. There are some that are set upon uh, seeing the will of God done in their life and then some great tragedy takes place in their life. Some great hurt takes place and that prevents them from doing the will of God and they fall out of the way. I'm saying we better be careful because there's dangers all along the way. It's funny how your perspective is different. I, I watch parents all the time worry over their children. And I understand that. I worry over my children. As an adult, you look at your child and their situation and it's just, it's almost like all you see is a thousand ways for things to go wrong in their life. Can I tell you something? You have that same feeling as a pastor when you look at your people. Man, you look at all that the world is tempting them with. You look at all that, that, that the devil is trying to destroy them with and through. And you look at all the damage that can be done with a, with a thoughtless statement or, a, or a thoughtless action. And you see how very often people are precariously situated in their commitment to God and wear thin skin, get upset, and so on. And it's just, it's almost like they're a balloon floating around a room of forks. <laughs> And you worry they're going to fall out of the way. Can I tell you something? There's a lot of dangers. We better keep our feet on the path. We better keep our feet on the path. He says there were dangers along the way. But you know, I think there is a second category of risk here. It's not only that there were dangers along the way, but there were probably a lot of distractions along the way as well. Uh, accompanying these dangers would be these distractions. Because when you consider the risk that it would be to take such a journey, how tempting it would have been to say, why are we going back to Egypt? Let's just settle somewhere along the way. A lot of open country between here and Canaan. And Canaan is the land of our uh, Father and the land of our promises. Why don't we just stay there and settle, listen now, settle for mediocrity. There are a lot of Christians living in the land of mediocrity far more than ever live in the land of the superlative. How easy it is to get distracted away from the will and work of God in our life and instead waste away our years somewhere between. I said waste away our years somewhere between. Not living out there in the world and 
life broken with sin, but also just not right smack in the will of God, living for God and sold out for Him. Now, Brother Kerry could testify of this. He's a youth pastor, and he sees this with young people all the time, man. You have young people that they're good kids. They're better than the, than the bad kids. They're, they're doing something for God, but sadly, so few of them. I, this is how it was when I was a youth pastor. I know he sees it too. Young people that are right on the precipice. They know what they need to do. They know the will of God, but they live their life in the land in between. They never really sell out to Him. You know, it don't change when we grow up. There's a lot of adults there too could be doing so much more for God, but distractions got them somewhere along the way. They got focused on that career. They got focused on those material things. They got focused on those pursuits in their life, many of which are not bad in and of themselves, but they have, they have uh, developed into unhealthy distractions, things that are worshipped and things that prevent them. Those would be some of those things that limit. But can I tell you something? The things that limit are not always the things that we currently possess. Sometimes it's things that we lust and long after. Things that we allow to become the driving purpose in our life. And here's what Joseph says to his brethren. says, make sure that you make it back. Can I say that that's one of the dangers of leaving? They had to leave. They had to go get Jacob. But can I just say this in closing? There's a great danger anytime you step out of the will of God that you'll never make it back. There's a lot of people never do. I think about, uh, I think about uh, Naomi in the book of Ruth and I think about uh, that family, Malon and Chilion and her husband that, that went down in the land of Moab to sojourn there. They said they went down to sojourn there. You know what that means? It's a vacation. It means they didn't mean to stay long. It means they meant to come back. Everybody means to come back. Everybody means to come back. I've never met anyone said, all right, preacher, I'm done giving up on God. It's over. They always mean to come back. They meant to come back. They never did. Ten years later, they buried the majority of their family in Moab. Three graves there that didn't belong there. You know why? Because they left the land of God's will. There's a great danger when we leave that we'll never come back. You say, what should I do, preacher? Well, we shouldn't leave the will of God. If you're not in the will of God, you ought to try to get in the will of God as fast as you can. But here's what it's going to take. You're going to have to respond with faith to the word of command. You have to make up your mind you want the will of God for your life and you'll do what it takes to see the will of God accomplished. Number two, we've got to respond with forsaking to the word of counsel. Don't allow the things that limit because the things that limit are the things that are lesser. God's will is what's best for your life and mine. And let us not settle for anything less than the will of God. We need to respond with focus to the word of caution. There's a lot, there's a lot of footsteps. There's a lot of miles between here and where we want to be. And as such, we need to be careful because how easy it would be to fall out of the way. Let's bow together this evening. The altar is open. If God has spoken to your heart, I want you to respond right now obediently unto Him as the musician comes to play. Father, bless this invitation. I pray that your will would be done in our lives, but Lord, we have to, we have to desire it and we have to permit it and we have to pursue it. Lord, I just pray that your will would be accomplished.